This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. I apologize for missing out last week. I was, um, I had laryngitis, uh, something I think I've only had once in my life before, but uh, had to cancel the program, and I have the good fortune of having uh, my guest from last week, Dr. Carl Malkoff, join us in the studio uh, later on this morning, and uh, we're going to be chatting about thyroid disease. A few things I wanted to bring everybody up. We got a lot of information to get out there, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's been in the press. The state of New York ended the exemption, okay, for vaccine requirements in school children this week. So that's something we've been talking about here. The numbers are huge now. We have about 1,000 cases of measles because people are not getting vaccinated. 800 of those cases were in New York. And basically, all they're hearing from is a very small but vocal group against vaccination and the state of new york just went right at it and and i want to read you really uh this is amazing this is uh, senator brad holyman he's a democrat from manhattan here's what he had to say the atrocious peddlers of junk science and fraudulent medicine who we know as anti-vaxxers have spent years sowing unwarranted doubt and fear but it is time for legislators to confront them head on. And they did in New York. The question is, why couldn't Connecticut do the same thing? Instead, our legislators said, we need more information. More information about what, folks? Okay, that vaccines work, that this is a hoax, and it is leaving our nation vulnerable to infection. It is killing Children, if we can't protect our children, who can we protect? So this is a hot button issue. And there is no. So what are the people saying? The anti-vaxxers in New York, we're going to move. Where do you think they're going to move to? Connecticut. So they can infect our children. So this is a hot issue. Uh, And I plan on meeting with several of the legislators uh, involved in this. Uh, My local legislator, Bobby Gibson, uh, I'm going to meet with him. Because we got to get this straightened out. There is no reason for these exemptions, except the lie that they are religiously, these are religious motivations. Just not, there's no science behind that. Here's another one. Uh, I was the victim of HIPAA in the last week. Okay, I got HIPAA'd. So you remember the Health Insurance Portability and Protection Act, right? HIPAA. It was designed in 1996, Clinton passed this thing, so that insurance companies couldn't get and transfer your private information. That's what it was for. It was for people so that your health information didn't show up in People magazine. So I had a situation where I had had blood work at an institution, 
and it, to show that I had my vaccine titers, hepatitis, measles, mumps, rubella. You have to have those things. And I had had them done several years ago at a local Connecticut institution. So the new institution that was asking me to consult for them required the same blood work. So I asked institution number one to fax the information to institution number two or to a fax machine on my desk as a doctor. Absolutely refused. Can't be faxed. HIPAA. Couldn't be faxed. Has to be mailed. In which case, once again, I had to have the blood work again. Now, I don't mind getting stuck with a needle. I do mind us wasting money. Maybe I'm cheap about it, but I'm, I, I don't think we should be wasting funds. So somebody had to pay to start doing all these titers all over again because someone has a misinterpretation of HIPAA. HIPAA should never get in the way of a communication from one health provider to another. And if that could happen to me, it's happening to every one of you folks listening. So with that, be mindful of that. Remind people of that. Sign whatever pay. I was willing to sign anything to let them fax it, but that wasn't even an option. So with that, those are a few things. We had a lot of topics to come over, but uh, here's one I wanted to definitely get to. Healing Meals. Uh, Sarah Leathers is uh, joining us from Healing Meals. You, if you'll remember, Healing Meals folks were on our program, uh, must have been about a year ago. And these people are the epitome of a community effort to improve the health of our citizens. These are volunteers who are out there doing it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Alessi. Thanks for having me this morning. Sarah, why don't you, you explain it better than I do. What is Healing Meals and what is the project you folks are involved in? Yes, thank you. Uh, so we're a nonprofit, or as I like to say, we're a for-benefit company. Um, and we provide healthy, organic meals to families who are in an acute health crisis. We serve every member of the family five meals a week, uh, plus an immune broth for the client who's ill. And all of our meals are made by youth volunteers age 14 and up, along with adult mentors. Those meals are delivered to those families every week by a volunteer delivery angel. And since we spoke with you back in, it was December, actually, of 2017. Wow. At, the, at that point, we had served um, 13,000 meals in a little over a year and a half. Um, and to date, we have served over 38,000 meals to more than 325 clients here in the greater Hartford area. And, and this is different. I want people to understand. This is not a, usually a permanent situation. These are folks who are undergoing chemotherapy, uh, yes. may have broken a hip, can't get out of the house, or can't prepare a meal. So in a lot of cases, it, it's temporary. It's kind of a transitional program, right? It absolutely is. What we're, what we're really trying to do in those 12 weeks is to get people to understand uh, by putting healthier food in their body, um, it's a long-term change. You know, people can't make quick changes. Um, so it takes time. And so by providing everybody in the family with healthy meals, they're all coming to the understanding that, wow, food really matters and healthy food really affects how I feel and um, how, uh, you know, I'm going through this health crisis and how it's supporting me. So you are totally funded by private donation, 
correct? That is correct. Well, we, we do have some family foundations now, and we do have a couple right. corporate donors. But, yes, it's 100%. Right. This is not a government um, deal. No, not at all. Right. I didn't not think so. So yeah. please tell people, because you have a program, Birdies for Charity, is going on yes. this week. And that's why I wanted to get you on, even for a short period of time, Thank so you. people can understand What's the deal? Because it works off the Travelers Golf Championship. People have to understand the Travelers does a lot of good work for our yes. local communities, and this is one of them. Can you explain to everybody what the program is and how they can donate and help you out? Yes, thank you. So Birdies for Charity, through the Travelers Championship, they support um, many nonprofits within Connecticut, and we are one of them. And every donation that we raise between now and June 23rd, there is an additional 15% that Travelers Birdies for Charity gives us. So if you give us, you know, a dollar or $10 or $100, there's an additional 15% that we will receive um, from Birdies for Charity. So uh, for us, all anybody would have to do would be to go to our website, which is www.healingmealsproject.org, click that Donate button, uh, make a donation, and then we will receive that additional 15%. Uh, and I have to tell people it works very smoothly by clicking on that. Uh, you and I talked about this yesterday, and I did it. Yes. And there's nobody in between taking a piece of it. One of the things I don't Correct. like is when I click on it and they say, well, this company gets – they have to disclose that they get something. Nobody gets it. All the money mm-hmm. goes right to you plus 15%. Correct. Correct. And for us right now, we have a wait list of over 25 clients who are waiting for our meals because we don't have the capacity right now to add a day of cooking. So every donation that we we receive is going to help us move to adding another day of cooking to support every family that needs um, needs our meals. You know, so I have every to think a little bit helps. I have to think that some of the people listening not only can donate money, but some of these folks would like to help you out physically. Um, and which would be a great place. How do they? How does somebody volunteer to help you out? Yes. So we do. Uh, we do a volunteer um, uh, orientation once a month. Again, if you go to our website and uh, look up, uh, you can look for the volunteer uh, area, and it, it explains what a you know an adult volunteer can do and what a youth volunteer can do. They can register for that orientation. Uh, and come to the next one and learn all about ways to help healing meals. And there's lots of different ways. If you're somebody who can't be in the kitchen uh, every week or you can't be a delivery angel, there's lots of different ways people can help us. So we, you know, we appreciate that. We also want people to understand um, if they know somebody who is going through an acute health crisis and might need our service, they can learn about that on our website as well. Sarah, it's always great to chat with you, and thank you for doing what you do. And and we will remind people to get out there and donate and volunteer uh, for something that helps so many people in our community. Thanks so much for having me on this morning. Thank you, Sarah. All right. You take care. That was Sarah Leathers from uh, Healing Meals uh, and just a great charity. Uh, Also, you know, one of the things, uh, we have our phone numbers here, 860-522-9842. 1-800-966-9842. But one of the things I encourage people to do is download the podcast. Um, the folks here, uh, Joey and, and, and the folks here, have done a great job putting these podcasts together. 
and you can go back and listen to shows. Um, if you're unable to meet it, you might hear part of it while you're driving to the store on Saturday morning and want to hear more about it. You can do that by going to iTunes and downloading the Healthy Rounds podcast. One of the things people tell me all the time when I bump into them is they look forward to this day in medicine. And we do that on every show. We try to. And and today it's June 15th. And in 1867, the first successful gallstone surgery was performed in 1867. And it was performed by Dr. John Bowles uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. What's so interesting about it is we're still taking out gallbladders, but now it's all done with a scope. I mean, I still remember the days. It, actually, as a med student, I was standing there holding these retractors for forever. And now they go in with a scope. There's not all these drains and things you used to need. And uh, people leave the hospital in a short period of time and are back to work. So uh, from 1867, a cholecystectomy, a gallbladder removal, has really evolved. So we're going to take a short break now. And then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Carl Malkoff from the University of Connecticut. We're going to be talking about thyroid disease. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today we're with my colleague, Dr. Carl Malkoff. Dr. Malkoff is an MD-PhD at the University of Connecticut. He specializes in diabetes, metabolism, and endocrine neoplasia. He is an endocrinologist. Um, Carl, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, Dr. Alessi. Uh, hey, Carl. So let's talk a little bit about endocrinology. First of all, what, what made you go into this field? Uh, that's a great question. Sometimes I'm not sure myself, but I'm interested <laughs> in how different parts of the body communicate with each other. And this is through the hormone system, and that's endocrinology, the different hormones that the body makes and the different parts that can communicate. So you're an MD-PhD. What was your training like? You can walk us through it. You were at the University of Virginia? Uh, yes, I have had a lot of training. I didn't get my first real job until I was 35 years old. I was an undergraduate at Cornell University and then spent six years at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York, where I got my MD and my PhD. My PhD was in biochemistry, and I studied how hormones called catecholamines or adrenaline bound to their receptors, which are on out the outside of the cells. In other words, how they communicated. Then I went to Charlottesville, Virginia, to the University of Virginia. I was an intern there, a resident, chief resident in medicine, and then spent three years in endocrinology there and have been in uh, Connecticut at the University of Connecticut ever since 1985. So let's talk about the thyroid gland. Is, is the thyroid gland the big excuse? Okay, I mean, you know how many people say, well, it's it's my thyroid. That's why I'm 600 pounds, or um, I have a thyroid condition. I mean, quotes around thyroid condition um, that, I mean, we see patients all the time and I don't know, they don't really have any thyroid problems. So is the thyroid kind of the fall guy of endocrinology or of medicine? Well, it's an interesting way that you put it. Thyroid problems are relatively common in medicine. And when they're quite severe, 
severe hyperthyroidism or severe hypothyroidism, for example, then they can make people quite sick. Often the thyroid problems are relatively minor, and if the individual is ill, it's important to try to find what the real reason is why they're ill, because it may not be due to the relatively minor thyroid problem. What does the thyroid gland do? The thyroid gland sits low in your neck. It has two lobes on either side of your windpipe, uh, and it makes this stuff called thyroid hormone, which is really two different types of thyroid hormone for abbreviation, sometimes called T4, and the other one's T3. We'll call it thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone circulates through the body and roughly controls different metabolic functions. It controls how rapidly the heart beats. It controls how much heat or energy you may produce. Individuals who make too much thyroid hormone, for example, shaky, nervous, hot, sweaty, weight loss, loose stools, not enough thyroid hormone has very what we call nonspecific symptoms, cold, constipated, fatigue, dry skin, weight gain, but those don't always point to thyroid problems. There can be other causes as well. Do you think we miss a lot of thyroid problems in medicine? Yeah, that's a great question. The thyroid problems that we see are relatively easily diagnosed these days if one thinks about them. The blood tests that we have that can be done to not only investigate how much thyroid hormone the thyroid gland is making, but also to investigate how the pituitary gland is working because the pituitary gland controls the thyroid gland. These hormone tests are relatively straightforward, are readily available, and therefore the diagnoses of most thyroid problems can be made relatively easily if someone thinks of them and the appropriate tests are done. So who do we see thyroid problems in? Is this something we're going to see in a child? Do we see it more in women, men, or does it depend on the problem? Great, great question that you ask. First of all, women have more thyroid problems than men. We do not know why that's the case. But Probably because they... men are carriers. That's right. <laughs> Usually the case – it's always been the case with migraine is – um, why do we only see it mostly in women? Because men are the carriers. But anyhow. So uh, the types of thyroid problems we might see are underactive thyroids, overactive thyroids, and also lumps in the thyroid gland, some of which can be thyroid cancer, although most are benign and not cancer. Children usually don't have thyroid problems, but it's very, very important important to diagnose thyroid problems in infants. And that's why when your baby is born, a heel stick is done about two days after he's born to check for hypothyroidism. Well, that should, if it occurs, it should be treated very early so that the mental development is normal. I didn't know that. So how long after a baby's born? I believe, and I'm not a pediatrician, I believe sure. it's two days after the birth that the heel stick is performed, about two days. And a TSH is checked, and I believe wow. every state in the union does this now. Uh, this is a pituitary hormone to tell us whether or not the it, the pituitary gland, which is really smart, thinks the thyroid is working appropriately. Wow. I had no idea. So uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we're going to get uh, back here. I'm going to give you the phone numbers again, 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. Nine eight four two. 
Uh, we're chatting with Dr. Carl, Carl Malkoff today, and we're talking about thyroid disease. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And today we're chatting with my guest, Dr. Carl Malkoff. Dr. Malkoff is an endocrinologist um, at the University of Connecticut. And uh, we've been chatting about thyroid disease, thyroid symptoms. And uh, we have a question. So let's let's grab the question. We have Geraldine from Ansonia. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, doctor. I appreciate you having this speaker because... I've been diagnosed with thyroid disease since 2000, and initially it was um, just multiple nodules, and I've had biopsies um, since then, and um, now my question is, my last um, biopsy was done in 2014, and I'm wondering if it's time for me to have another one, because... I, I didn't realize that five years have elapsed since that one. This is a great question, right? Because, uh, Carl, we were talking about nodules, the frequency of nodules. Uh, do they become cancer? Don't they become cancer? So uh, what would be your advice for Geraldine? So these are very good questions that you ask. The simple answer to that is that if your nodules had been biopsied previously and it was an adequate sample and it was benign and the nodule has not grown, then you probably do not need another biopsy at this time. Thyroid nodules, as Dr. Alessi has already mentioned, are very common in the general population. Fortunately, thyroid cancer is relatively rare and often the best way to distinguish between a nodule that's benign and not cancer and a nodule that is cancer is by the fine needle aspiration biopsy that you have had performed. It sounds like you've had excellent care by your physicians. I have. On my last report, uh, the, the notation was made uh, that the diagnostic category, negative for malignant cells, carries a risk malignancy of less than 10%. So that's really good. Yeah, that's tremendous, uh, Geraldine. Well, listen, thank you for calling. Oh, I have one more question. Sure, go ahead. I'm, uh, I take Armour Thyroid. I've been taking it since I began with my thyroid problem. What, are your, what is your opinion on that? Yes, that's a great question that you ask. <laughs> different experts have different opinions about that. Yeah, I mean, it's an old drug. Exactly. And it's a desiccated thyroid, usually from pigs. The good thing about using other preparations of thyroid hormone is that you get exactly the same amount of thyroid hormone in every single pill. With the desiccated thyroid, you may get slightly different amounts from batch to batch. So if you go to your pharmacist and get a new bottle of pills and you don't feel quite right next two or three weeks later, it might be reasonable to recheck your thyroid hormone levels there may be a different amount of thyroid hormone in those pills. So the variability is what is somewhat problematic with armor thyroid, but some people do prefer it. Okay. Would well, you recommend I switch over to the, um, the, uh, the synthroid? synthetic? To the synthetic? I think that that's a discussion that you can have with your physician. Some people prefer that. Some patients prefer it. Some patients prefer the natural uh, armor thyroid. And as I said, different experts will give you different opinions on that. 
Thank Geraldine, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Um, you know, one of the things, I want to get back to the nodule idea. So, you know, we've been seeing people, um, lately, broadcasters have been on the news, right? And people have been texting, you know, she has a nodule, right? And and you could see it. Uh, and in some cases, it's become cancer. Uh, are they that evident all the time? Or how do people find out you have a thyroid nodule? So that's that's a great question, Dr. Alessi. Occasionally, the thyroid nodules are visible and you're exactly right that television broadcasters uh, are often ones in whom we can see their neck for whatever reason they're often thin individuals so lumps in the necks can be seen easily and they can be detected that way most thyroid nodules are not detectable visibly one can't see them your physician may palpate them that is feel them in your neck when he performs your physical examination on your annual exam every year or OBGYN doctors are particularly expert at palpating thyroids and often will discover thyroid nodules. Finally, thyroid nodules are occasionally discovered, incidentally, when another imaging procedure is performed of some structure in the neck, and incidentally, they see a thyroid nodule at the same time. Uh, when we when we think about symptoms, so if someone's listening to this program, uh, what what are the symptoms people should be thinking of if they think they may have a thyroid problem? Uh, because, you know, everybody's got some kind of vague symptoms out there, but what, what kind of narrows it down for someone who's listening? Well, first of all, we can talk about the different thyroid problems and what symptoms sure. might be associated with them. For example, the thyroid nodules, which we've been talking about most recently, usually do not have symptoms, and thyroid cancer usually does not have symptoms. Occasionally, individuals will have a hoarse voice that goes on for a long period of time or difficulty swallowing because of thyroid cancer, but these would be unusual events. A rapidly growing mass in the neck should be investigated, of course, but again, that's pretty unusual. In terms of an overactive thyroid, which is called hyperthyroidism, where the thyroid gland releases too much thyroid hormone into the blood, it causes the heart to beat too fast and someone might experience palpitations. It causes weight loss because it increases the metabolic rate. At the, that is the rate at which one breaks down fat and muscle. So it's not a good way to lose weight because you lose both fat and muscle. An individual may feel hot and sweaty because of the increased metabolic rate and also tremulous, so shaky, nervous, hot, sweaty, weight loss, and also loose stools are things might, one might experience with hyperthyroidism. The symptoms of a low thyroid hormone level or hypothyroidism are what we call nonspecific. That is, they can be caused by many, many other things other than thyroid problems. This would be feeling cold, constipated, fatigue, dry skin, weight gain. All of these symptoms can be due to other things. And to determine whether they're related to the thyroid, usually a blood test is the best way to do that. It's so interesting. And, and so many patients really uh, are having vague symptoms you just can't put your hand on. And often it's just getting a thyroid profile 
uh, to go from there. We're going to take a short break. Now we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Carl Malkoff. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to branch out a little bit and talk about some of the endocrine cancers uh, that people should know about and some of the general changes metabolically people should be informed about. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessa. We're in our last segment, and we're chatting with Dr. Carl Malkoff. Dr. Malkoff is an endocrinologist at the University of Connecticut and really kind of leads the charge here at the university, uh, not only in endocrinology, but in endocrine cancers. And Carl, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about not just thyroid cancer, but endocrine cancers. How how common are they? How deadly are they? Yeah, that's a great question that you ask. Many of the endocrine tumors that we see, in fact, are not cancers. They're benign adenomas. For instance, as a neurologist, you'd be familiar with the pituitary adenomas that we see. The vast, vast majority are not cancers, but they can cause problems, and we can talk about those. Thyroid nodules are mostly benign, but as we said, there are some that are thyroid cancers that need to be identified and treated appropriately. Fortunately, the treatment for those is quite good. We see other tumors of the parathyroid glands, which are mostly what we call benign adenomas, but can make you sick by the hormones that they make. We can see non-cancerous tumors of the endocrine pancreas that might make insulin, for instance, called an insulinoma. We can see other Neuro, what are called neuroendocrine tumors, which do tend to be malignancies and tend to spread slowly throughout the body. So we've talked a lot about nodules and biopsies. How hard is it to do a to get a biopsy? So someone comes to your clinic, they've got a thyroid nodule, uh, needs to get biopsied as the most direct way to find out if it's cancer. How big a deal is it? What do you do? Oh, that's a great question that you ask. The Biopsies of thyroid nodules that we do are called fine needle aspiration biopsies. I like the word fine needle. Most patients like to hear the word fine needle, but go ahead. That's exactly right. This is a skinny needle, often thinner than the needle the uh, nurse or uh, phlebotomist uses to draw blood out of your arm. So the pain is very similar to that of blood drawing. Some people like myself actually don't even use any anesthesia when we do the fine needle aspiration biopsy. It usually does involve putting the needle into the thyroid lump more than once because there can be what we call heterogeneity in this thyroid nodule. So you have to aspirate from different places to get all the information. But it can be done in the office. It is often done with ultrasound guidance, and most of us have ultrasound machines in our office that we use to help define where the nodule is so we put the needle in the correct place and get a good sample. And then results are usually available within the week. They're stained and read by our cytopathologist. Somebody has thyroid cancer. Do they do a thyroidectomy, take out the whole gland, part of the gland? I've I've had people just lose half the gland, or uh, what's usually the procedure? Great question that you ask. Most of the time, we can make a diagnosis of thyroid cancer based upon the fine needle aspiration biopsies so that the surgeon knows that the patient has thyroid cancer at that time. 
frequently these days, if an individual has a thyroid cancer that we think is relatively non-aggressive and has a low chance of spreading, it can be treated just by taking part of the thyroid out called a lobectomy. And therefore, as you remember, we talked about the thyroid gland having two lobes, one on the left side of the windpipe and one on the right side. So just one of those lobes might have to be removed. For cancers that might be more aggressive, those in general are the larger tumors that might occur in older individuals, and older in this case is described as over age 55, which is not old by my book, but older by their definition at any rate, then a total thyroidectomy might be indicated, and that would then be followed uh, often with treatment with radioactive iodine, which is targeted radiation and really quite benign as far as the patient is concerned. Um, how about in the case of pituitary adenomas? We talked a little bit about that, but what are some of the symptoms people would have to start thinking that way? Yeah, great, great questions about pituitary adenomas. Often they don't have any symptoms at all. Occasionally they're discovered incidentally. It turns out that very tiny non-cancerous pituitary tumors called pituitary adenomas, those less than, say, half an inch or a quarter of an inch, are actually relatively common in the general population and are find incident, found incidentally when an MRI scan is performed. One of the more common pituitary adenomas that might be found clinically because of symptoms would be a pituitary adenoma that makes something called prolactin. And particularly in women, they would lose their menstrual periods, stop having menstrual periods, and have fertility problems. And that is when those are discovered. Fortunately, those can be treated medically in most cases and don't require surgery. Larger pituitary tumors, those greater than, say, half an inch or an inch, may cause headaches or some visual problems. That's because the nerves from the eyes run right over the top of the pituitary gland. And if the pituitary tumor were to press on those nerves, it could disrupt one's vision. And they may be discovered in that way. Tumors that large often have to be removed, although, again, if they're making prolactin, they might be treated medically. Then there are a lot of unusual things that occasional tumors will make. For instance, if they make too much growth hormone, it produces a disease called acromegaly, where the hands might enlarge, the jaw enlarges. So that would be another possibility. The pituitary can also make too much of a hormone called ACTH, adrenocorticotropic hormone. And if a pituitary tumor is making that, we see a disorder called Cushing syndrome. Patient may gain weight centrally, lose muscle mass, easy bruising, weakness, diabetes, and hypertension. Again, these are all relatively rare disorders. A lot of times we're we're talking about personalized medicine now. And uh, in the field of thyroid disease and endocrinology, what are the new things coming down that we're going to start hearing about. I mean, we're always hearing about uh, personalized medicine, as I mentioned, based on genetics and your own genome and designing drugs just for that person. Is that what's going on now in endocrinology? What's the next big thing? Yeah, those those are great questions. Uh, the world of personalized medicine in, let's stick with thyroid because that's sure. where we're, we're talking about. We don't really understand very well 
uh, why some individuals seem to inherit a tendency to get thyroid nodules. And that's still a question that we haven't answered. We also don't understand very well why some individuals inherit a tendency to become hyperthyroid or hypothyroid, although some of those gene mutations or variants, if you will, are known and can be tested for, although we don't usually do that. What I think is more interesting is some of the things we've already talked about, and that is, for example, we know a lot more about the prognosis of different thyroid cancers uh, based upon the age of the patient based upon the size of the tumor so that our surgeons can select the appropriate surgery to take out a thyroid cancer. Some individuals might need a lobectomy, others might need a total thyroidectomy and followed by radioactive iodine. So we can direct that therapy specifically for that individual depending on how aggressive we think that tumor is. So I would count that as personalized medicine. The other thing that I think is interesting is some of the personalized medicine we can use to make diagnoses on our fine needle aspiration biopsies of the thyroid nodules. I've simplified that quite a bit. I've said that the nodule will either be benign or malignant. Well, that's true about three-quarters of the time. About a quarter of the time, we can't tell whether it's benign or malignant when our cytopathologist looks at the sample that comes out. Then we have the option of sending that sample off for what we call genetic analysis. We can actually find out if there are any gene mutations in that sample of the thyroid that are associated with thyroid cancer. And I think you might call that personalized medicine as well. Yeah. Whenever we start getting into genetics and the specifics of treatment, uh, Carl, I can't thank you enough really for coming down here today and really talking to us about, you know, one of the more difficult areas in medicine for people to understand, and yet we hear so much about it. And uh, thank you for all your work at the University of Connecticut. Thank you for inviting me. With that, um, I want to thank my producer today. Mike Olko has been on the board. Jeff Chandler, as always, is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Uh, next week, um, I will not be here. We're going to have a taped program. I will be at the Travelers Championship I'm actually doing some uh, public relation responsibilities. And actually, I'm going to try and grab a few interviews uh, because there are so many health professionals there. Um, I know the folks will be there from the hospital of uh, special uh, hospital for special care uh, with the uh, ALS group. Um, so I may be able to grab some interviews with them and I will be there. Don't forget to download the Healthy Rounds podcast from iTunes. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go to registerme.org. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.